We have moved into Romans 12, even though I'd like to read this morning, starting in Romans 11:33. You'd say, why do you want to go back there, J.D.? But it's important for us to see the transformation that we're called to as believers as being an outgrowth of what we know about God, of what is revealed about himself, about the awe that we should have about him. And so the end of Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Then right out of that, he says to this church that's having relational problems with each other and relational problems with people outside of the church and relational problems with people in the government and so on. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So all of them, together, by these mercies, by the mercies of God that I've been hammering in these chapters, we know them as chapters, in this letter so far. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now notice something here right from the start. He calls for them, brothers and sisters, individually to present their individual bodies to God as a, as a living sacrifice. That they as a body of believers would be a living sacrifice to God. Do not be conformed to this world. This is starting to tease this out practically a little bit. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God for what? For these relationships. Starting with their relationships with each other based on their understanding of themselves. Why do I say that? We'll read verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now, we're going to dive into that next week, but as we're here in these verses 1 and 2, understand that this idea primarily of them presenting themselves individually to God as living sacrifices is the key to them as a body being able to be a living sacrifice to God. And how does it play out? In their relationships with each other. That's why we're talking about transformed relationships. 
You know, there are relationships that you have early in your life, and, and maybe some of those are a fundamental, foundational relationships that you have later in your life. Maybe your first boss, maybe a professor that, um, that either built you up or tore you down or something like that. But especially as children, we're impacted by these foundational relationships, the most primary ones being our parents. They shape us. It might be authority figures that you trust as well. And, and these people can set us up with an inner strength that empowers us for the rest of our lives, or they can ena- and they can enable us to approach every other relationship out of a core strength. Uh, and these foundational relationships can also do damage to our core. They can take a lifetime to understand and to be healthy out of. Damage from these foundational relationships with people or their absence in our lives can lead to unhealthy relationships down the road for us. And we often damage other people when we don't understand how those foundational relationships affect us. And that's just kind of thinking about how we are affected by relationships. And I want you to know that our most foundational relationship is that between us and God. And how we understand and how we live in that relationship with him affects all other relationships in our life. Our relationship with people, our relationship with neighbors, our relationship with other people in the body of Christ, our relationship with our jobs, our relationship with our home and and our spouses. Romans, in fact, all of the Bible teaches us how God made it so that we can be in healthy, good father-son relationship with him again. That's redemption. Redeeming us. Back to that place where, where we were at first where God's children, Adam and Eve, walked with him in the cool of the day before we allowed sin to enter into this world and to mar it. I want to get across to you this morning that knowing God should be a life-transforming relationship. Knowing God should transform you. And we see that in verses 1 and 2. Where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me ask you something. When was the last time that God woke you up out of a funk? When was the last time God showed you a lie that you were believing and significantly changed you? That like a tweaking the wagon wheel in the middle of the wheel, it spread out through those spokes of your life and ended up affecting your behavior on the outside. How long ago was that? And how long did it last? You know, I I have these, a phrase that I call these moments that a person might need, I call it a come to Jesus. And you know, sometimes Kelly and I or might be talking about a family member or, or maybe someone in this body, and we just my, my conclusion is they just need to come to Jesus. And what I'm saying is they need a life-transforming encounter with Christ. 
come to Jesus moment. Let me ask you another question. When was the last time you saw a need for transformation in someone else? That might, that's probably a little easier to think of, isn't it? Maybe if we recognized either the need or the opportunity that we have to live transformed lives, we would be thinking of ourselves and the transformation that we want to see a little bit more often than just seeing it in someone else. Instead of talking of ourselves or thinking of ourselves and just in terms of, I just need more consistency. I just need a better environment. I just need a better situation. I need my situation to change. And then I really think I'm, I, would, I would grow in my relationship with the Lord. We need transformation. And this isn't a special thing. This is what we are called to live. If we're truly internalizing the truth of the gospel. I had this car when Kelly and I lived in um, Columbia, South Carolina where we lived, uh, and I attended seminary there, and it was a Nissan Maxima, and I was, I was um, pretty, like, under this car's spell and stuff, and I think it's because, you know, it was a bigger engine that I'd had. It, it had different types of luxury and stuff like that, and Kelly hated that car. She hated that car for good reason. It was a piece of junk. I got it as a piece of junk, and after putting $2,000 into it, it was still a piece of junk. And I remember taking it to the mechanic, and the mechanic opened the hood up, looked at the engine compartment, and said, and I quote, you inherited someone else's problem. And I should have walked away from it. But, you know, little things I didn't really care about, especially like if you're in a parking space and the flywheel was missing some teeth in the engine, so I had to like open the door up, stick my foot out on the asphalt and push the car back a couple feet before it would start. That's just one of the things. And so I finally sold the car and seriously before the guy even got out of his car I had basically said you know how much I put it in the paper for I don't really need that much and he had talked me down even below that and and so I unloaded this car and the guy calls me up and he says hey, you got some stuff in the trunk of this car that, that I need to get to you. And I said, okay, yeah, that's, that's great. I really appreciate that. I forgot to take the stuff out of the trunk. And um, he also said, I also need the code for the doors. Because one of the things I liked about this car was you had to punch a code in to, you know, open. You didn't have to use the key. See, we didn't have car fobs back then. And, um, and so... He said, so I need, to, I need the code for it, and I need to know how to reset it. And so what I told him over the phone um, was, well, no problem. Uh, actually, if you just look in the trunk underneath this certain spot, you'll see the instructions there for how to reset the code. He's like, okay, thanks. Well, I never saw him again. Never saw my stuff out of the trunk, you know, because I had given him what he wanted. And he wasn't interested in showing up and talking anymore once he got what he wanted. But the truth is, so many people and so often, and so many of us, the majority of us, me many times, we treat our relationship with God like that. God, I'm just here for what I need to get. 
and, 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 I, and I don't want to show up more than I have to. I don't want to take more time than I need to. I don't want you to go deeper in me than, you, than I need you to go, than I want you to go. Just I'm here to get what I need, and I don't want to spend any more time. And when the little effort that we put into our relationship with God doesn't seem to be transforming us because we think it's about effort, we think life transformation must be for somebody else. Or maybe that was just a one-and-done thing. You know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, when the Spirit was really moving, that's when I got transformed. But the fact is, folks, we are called to live transformed lives every day. That's the opportunity that we have. That's what I want you to see here this morning. Knowing Christ as your Savior means that you have been placed into a relationship with God. And God has taken up residence in your life. We used to call it asking Jesus into my heart. That's a real thing. Paul talks about the Christ Christ in you is your hope of eternal glory. Receiving the Holy Spirit. It's his intention to transform you daily. And in order to know for God, knowing God to transform my life, your life, you must dwell on his mercies. Dwell on his mercies. Last week we talked about being soaked in his mercies. A lot of people are like, what? But he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And when he says, therefore, this is inferential. In order words, what he's saying is, all of what I've said up to this point infers this. It is inferring you should offer yourselves to God as an act of worship. That is to be the result of a gospel relationship with God through Christ. And we're appealed to by God's mercies. And I won't go back into those again, but it's Romans 3 through 8. And uh, Jeff uh, texted me this week and he said, hey, I, I looked up all the mercies of God, like you talked about, Romans 3 through 8, and I came up with over 90 of them. What a kiss up, right? <laughs> and this is a symbol that, that this cross thing that, that has, has kind of burned into me a little bit over the last couple months. And it's something that Jeff and I have kind of discussed in terms of when we're teaching, when, we're, when, when we want God to have the full impact on us, this symbol kind of fits it in a lot of ways. And the, the foundation of this arrow cross, this four-arrow cross, is the downward arrow that is to represent God's initiative in relationship with us, his mercy, his merciful relationship with us in Christ. And these are the mercies that we're called to dwell on. The gospel must be firmly established first and often in our lives. And we must dwell on God's mercies if we're to live in relationship with him that he intended for. And all of God's mercies in Romans 3 through 8 are about salvation being paved by God for us through Christ and received by faith. And what is the result of receiving that relationship with God by faith? Him indwelling us by His Spirit. So, so just so we don't pass this by, 
my life as I am born and as I live in my sinful nature alone, that life is not a dwelling that the Holy Spirit, that God himself will take up residency in. But Jesus took my sins on the cross. So I don't have to just have a sinful nature. I don't have to, when I'm looked at by God, when, when, my, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell me having received Jesus as my Savior, because Jesus paid for my sin and offered his righteousness to me, my insides is wallpapered with the righteousness of Christ. And that becomes a place where God walks in and says, now this is a place I can live. And that's what he promises. That's what it is. That's relationship with him. Like I said, we used to call it asking Jesus into your heart. It's a real thing. This is, this is where Romans brought us. In Romans 8, 14 through 15, where it says, we talked about this a little bit last week, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So in other words, I have this tendency to slide back into this world's idea about God, man, because of what I've done or because of how far, how righteous he is compared to who I am, man, he doesn't want anything to do with me. But where did the gospel itself bring us to? It brings us to the place of realizing I've been adopted as his son A spirit of adoption has been given to me that indwells me. And by that spirit, I call out, Abba, Father. He doesn't reject me. He doesn't turn away from me. He doesn't regret making me his child. Galatians 2.20 puts it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's living out the gospel. That's a transformed life. Living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me and accepting the fact that Christ lives in me. Dwell on God's mercies as his child and you'll arrive at the fact that he dwells in you. That's where Romans took us. The indwelling of God in the person, the Holy Spirit, Christ in me, the Spirit of Christ. This isn't an aspect of our relationship with God. This is the culmination of it, which we are able to call and called to walk hand and empowered hand with him every moment of every day. You know, most of us have raised babies in here, you know, and, and we're used to this idea that, that when they need to be changed or when they're hungry, what do they do? Ah! You know, their thought is, I'm going to starve or I'm going to have to live in this stench for the rest of my life. Mom walks out of the room, no, nah, I've been 
disowned. I've been abandoned. It's me me and the world. They have to be convinced over time. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be taken care of. You know, they, <clears throat> somebody has something that they want. Mine. Our, our daughter, Micaiah, she was, we, we would pick her up from the nursery at church, and they would comment, boy, this is the word she would use, they would use. She's a brute. <laughs> she is the brute squad. She, she, would, she would crawl over to other babies in their walkers, and she would climb up on their walkers and see what they got, grab it, and take off. She was like a pirate of the nursery class. <laughs> she had to learn. Everything's not mine. But, but what, if a, what if a teenager or a young adult still acted this way, right? They, they start feeling hungry. I'm going to starve. Oh, no. Somebody help me. Right? Or, or they forget to take the garbage out, and they're like, oh, I might as well pack my bags. My dad's not going to be my dad anymore. He's going to disown me. He's going to put me out on the street. No, they've built that assurance of relationship. They've built that confidence that they'll be cared for. Or what if, you know, what if the, they're driving down the uh, interstate and they start getting those flashing lights behind them, wants them to pull over, and they look up in the rearview mirror and they say, No! You'd be wondering, where did, where did they miss picking this up? How are they going to live in relationship with other people if, if this is how they live or, or, or stay out of prison? If you're not dwelling on the mercies of God, those assurances of what your relationship with him is based on, experiencing what it means to walk with him moment by moment, you're not going to grow as you should in your life and your relationships will not be transformed. You won't be a giver of grace because you're not experiencing grace. You won't be, with your friends, you won't be resisting the temptation to manipulate them or or to dive into fleshly lust with them because you're not recalling the fact that you're dead to sin and alive to God. That's a mercy that we've been given. That we only need to, to take it to the bank. You'll be afraid of persecution or you'll put your hope in how people can help you out because you're looking to get your, you're not looking for your eternal glory in which you'll be fully satisfied. And here's where this illustration of the, the baby and the teenager breaks down. You see, see the teenager by that time is to, to learn how to live when they're not in their parents' presence, right? Now, at some point in time, mom's not in the room. They're getting a little hungry, and they're like, okay, I'm going to survive. It's going to be all right. I'm going to walk over to that fridge. I'm going to open it up. And even though it's full, I'm going to say there's nothing to eat. But, but, but the teenager, is that, that where that breaks down is that they're, they're intended to learn how to live outside of that presence. For us, what we're intended to learn is that we're always in his presence as our father with him indwelling us and to draw off of his power, to draw off of his presence. That's what we're to be learning. 
And in order for knowing God to transform my life and your life, I must respond to God in life worship. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You probably know about worship with our mouths and praise. That's pretty easy. That's, that's you know, we, we have the praise team. And, and just to get you in my head a little bit, I call them the praise team because I want you to understand that our worship is much more than just with our mouths. But we know worship in praise. Psalm 34, 1 through 3 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Maybe you know that, that it, what it means to worship God more than just with our mouths, but, but actually with our hearts and our feelings. Psalm 103, 1 and 2 says, Bless the Lord Oh, my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Maybe you know that God deserves more than just our legalistic obedience. David writes in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. But our relationship with God is intended to be far beyond. Our worship is intended to be beyond our mouths, beyond our, our feelings, beyond our, our uh, deeper than our legalistic practices, yes, to a broken heart. It's to be life worship. As Jeff mentioned in, in our uh, communion devotional, this idea here, this present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice, this is that term for a person bringing that sacrifice and laying it on the altar. And the idea is turn your head. And, and to turn, because the practice was to turn the head of that animal toward the Holy of Holies. It's using the idea here, present, lay yourself on that altar. And he uses more Old Testament priestly language and holy and acceptable because it was supposed to be a perfect sacrifice. We're to, to, to place ourselves on God's altar. And the amazing thing here is that we're living. We get to be a living sacrifice. And you know why that is? It's because Christ did the dying And his dying was effective for all of eternity. That's what Hebrews teaches us, the book of Hebrews. Once for all, for all of eternity, Christ did the dying. We get to be a living sacrifice. Living every moment of every day. And so what that should look like is, why am I living out of my sinful flesh right now? It's not my circumstance It's not the situation. It's not what I just stumbled into. I need to get back up on the altar. Lord, I dedicate myself to you again as a living sacrifice. This is our act of worship that we are called to as often as we need to do so. We are to live in a state of being on God's altar and understand our purpose is life worship. 
It's our purpose in life. To, to worship comes from the English term, we talked about this before, it comes from the English term worth-ship. It's to show the worth of what the person being worshipped is worth. And God is worth no less than our every moment, than our every life. And he has put together and facilitated how we can do that. Because he has torn that veil between the front part of the temple and the Holy of Holies when Christ died. And it was as if to say, walk in here anytime. Live in here. We are designed for the purpose of laying all of ourselves on God's altar for his glory and for his service. He's the creator of everything. As we read in Romans eleven thirty six, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever for everything. Or as 1 Corinthians ten thirty one puts it, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But this isn't us doing it for his glory so that he will look down on us and say, boy, I love that guy. I think I'll draw him a little closer to me. It is in those mercies of God of realizing you never leave me. You never forsake me. I live in your presence. Transform me. And we do all things for his glory. What is idolatry? It's the perfect contrast to how we are supposed to live in worship of God. Idolatry is believing the delusion, the delusional idea that we can hijack the purpose of our lives and our relationships. To take what has been given to us as, as an offering of worship to God and to give it to something else in order to serve ourselves with that relationship. It could be our work. It could be uh, our spouse. It could be a person we're dating. And we give to that person or we give to that, to that situation what we should be worshiping God with. So, so instead of serving my kids because God calls me to serve them, God calls me to love, God calls me, I, I, God's spirit is, is leading me to serve them I might choose to serve them so they'll be good kids. So they'll make me proud. So they won't screw up. See, now they've become an idol to me. And that's the opposite of life worship. It's inspired by the devil, the original idolater, that said, you know, all these instruments, all these angels, all, the, all this glory, all this praise, does it really all have to go in that direction? I think I want a little bit of that for myself. And he's been inspiring idolatry ever since he fell from his exalted position. How often do you ask the Lord, what would you have me to do in this situation to glorify you, Lord? Couples, do you and your spouse sit down and talk about the finances that God has put under your care and prayerfully consider where does he want us to direct them? Single people, do you consider the fact that, that I know you don't feel like you have a lot of time on your hands, and I, I don't want to put it that way, but do you ever consider the fact that the time that you do have 
has been given you to bless God with. Parents, do you consider that your children belong to God and you're just a steward of them during those years that they are in your house? If we are to worship God with our lives, with all of ourselves, we must change our thinking about all that we have. We must have a renewal of our minds. Our process is life transformation. Life transformation is described here as moving from being conformed to the way that the unbelieving world does things, the world that does not have God's spirit within them, stopping being conformed to those ways and being transformed by the renewal of our minds. It says stop being conformed, which says stop allowing the world's way to press you into its mold. But be transformed, which comes from the term metamorpho or metamorphosis. We've talked about this before. It's the way a caterpillar goes through metamorphosis. It it, uh, encases itself with that cocoon and it becomes what it was intended to be. It becomes the butterfly. Okay, what if the, the, you know, the caterpillar that it's time to become the butterfly looks around and says, but all my friends are caterpillars. I don't want to do that. Kind of puts a different spin on the, but everybody else is doing it. When it says stop being conformed, it's keeping you from being transformed. Or it's how limestone is transformed into marble. And how, how even in ancient times with ancient tools, people would dig down into the earth and get past the limestone to get to that marble that has gone through transformation and bring it out and sculpt it into something amazing. You know, we went on a family vacation one time and one of the low points in family vacations once was when we decided to go to see Rock City. You've probably seen those signs around the country, Sea Rock City. I think they spend a lot more time on the signs than they do on keeping Rock City up and running, to tell you the truth. So Rock City, you're going through all, and I apologize if that's one of your favorite places to go, but you're going through all these little t- paths and, and uh, alleyways among all these rocks and stuff, and every now and then you, you run across these gnomes, these concrete gnomes. And a lot of them, the paint's chipping off. The noses are gone from the weather and stuff like that. They're starting to look kind of hideous. They're hideous gnomes, which is not fun. And there's a lot of them. I mean, because when you're just working with a mold, you can just press those things out by the thousands. That's a total difference than Michelangelo's David standing in Florence. carved out of a piece of marble that sat in a yard for years. I think almost 100 years. I can't remember. Just waiting for the right statue and the right artist to carve it. And can you, like if you were in Florence and you were at the museum and you were looking at the statue of David by Michelangelo and all the detail, you'd probably be looking at it like this. Right? And imagine if you said to the person standing next to you and said, this is really amazing, but have you seen Rock City? (laughs) 
Now that's something to see. You know, it'd be ridiculous. I mean, even if you saw, sat and saw, thought, well, this is one room with just one statue in it. There, you turn every corner and there's another gnome. And what's ridiculous about it is they're just these concrete gnomes that have been busted out of a mold. He's saying stop letting the world just pack you into its mold and making you what it thinks you should be. And it's talking about a sinful world that resonates with your sinful flesh. And everybody's doing it is usually the excuse. But be transformed. How do we become transformed? It's by the renewal, the renewing of our mind. Verse 2 is like verse 1 in reverse, right? Okay, he says, in verse 1 he says, let, let God's mercies sink in and result in life worship. Verse 2 is going in the opposite direction. Stop being conformed and be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the, re, re, the review, the, the truth. Let those truths sink in of the gospel. Transformation comes from internalizing, believing the truth of the gospel. You know, I had a problem um, last week. See, my eyes used to be when I first got glasses, it was like I just had to move things back and forth to get something in focus. And what my eye doctor has told me is, you know, um, your lenses in your eyes, as you get older, they become conformed to one side, one, you know, uh, they don't adjust anymore. They don't move back and forth. Well, now, you know, what just used to take moving something back and forth, it's like I take my glasses off and it's like blur, right? So a little screw fell out of the nose piece of my glasses. And I don't know if any of you guys have been in this situation. You're like, now I'm in trouble because there's this tiny screw, but my eyes won't work to get the tiny screw in my glasses because I need my glasses to do it. And see, we end up in that situation where we're like, I see myself continuing to give into sin. I see myself when I run into this situation with my kids or with finances or something like that, I get agitated and I get irritable. I see myself continuing to go down this road. You know, I haven't done that big sin again, but I, I know it's welling up in me. I know it's eating at me. It's what I want. I'm, cha- I'm, I'm fighting against these desires. And like trying to fix my glasses with eyes that don't work, we're trying to be transformed without renewing our minds. This is not a work of the flesh. This is work of God's Spirit working through his truth. And thank God, he's right there with you, within you, available. It's not special hocus pocus. That downward arrow on the the four arrow cross there, it's the truth of God's mercies and our receiving them and our mind renewal. That upward arrow is much, much take place of life transformation. Worshiping God with my life, recognizing it's for you, Lord. I, I repent. I need you. I need you to fill me. I need to walk by your spirit. I am responding to you. 
And those horizontal arrows represent the fact that God always intends to transform our relationships. Me coming back to my kids and saying, you know what? Um, I shouldn't have talked that way. I shouldn't have responded to you that way. And, and, and how I was acting there, that was by my flesh. But God's reminded me that it's not about me. It's about him. That transforms that relationship. And that's what God always intends to do. I want to challenge you. When you read his word, when you allow him to, when you see the truth, that you seek how he wants you to respond to him and how he wants you to respond in relationships. He wants to transform them. I, I saw this within the past year anew again. And I was asking myself that question. Lord, why is it that we're not experiencing transformation? Why is it that I or, or, or my friends seem to kind of keep going down that path? It's like it's just going to go there again, but, but I'm just on this point on the path and my heart is just longing for sin. Or why do I keep responding to those situations or those scenarios with agitation or irritability? And I was, it was like my mind was renewed again. It was, it was a truth that I'd seen over and over and over again. And, and I've been uh, renewed in it many times in my life. But reminded by Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. See, we get stuck in this bad thinking that I got to beat the flesh with the flesh. I got to try harder. I got to work harder. I got to read more. And for me, that mind renewal was in the fact that I should have the expectation. I've been invited to walk by God's Spirit at every moment of every day. Because you know what? I walk in my flesh at every moment of every day. And God has countered that by indwelling me with his Holy Spirit. And that'll transform you. And that's just one example of one truth, but I think it's that culminating truth, as I said, that the gospel leads us up to. That's what the gospel culminates in, is the fact that God dwells with me, within me, in relationship with me, every moment of every day. And I kind of started taking little notes on a piece of paper. Notice how in Acts 4, when Peter speaks, he's filled with the Spirit. And, and how Jesus promises his disciples that the Spirit would speak for them when they're dragged into to the officials. The disciples are filled with the Spirit, as we saw in Acts 4. After being persecuted in Acts 13, the church and the believers are filled with joy, and the, which is a fruit of the Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit, it says. And Ephesians 5 tells us, stop going back to drink, stop going back to alcohol to fill your emptiness, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, we, we have this other answer, and that is, I'm going to fill myself with sinful things. Which, by the way, they don't become sin until you try to fill yourself with them. 
Sexual intimacy becomes sin when we try to fill ourselves, fill our soul with it. When we say, I don't care what God says about this, I think it can meet my needs. Food becomes gluttony when we say, I think I I can keep going back to this. I think this will fill me. But as we try to fill it, guess what? There's less room for being filled with the Spirit. You see, he's always there. But the more we fill ourselves with other things, the less room there is for him. And so we end up in that cycle of going back to the flesh, walking by the flesh, rather than being filled with the Spirit. That, that was a transforming reminder to me. I have the opportunity at any moment to be filled with him. Well, I can go on about that, but I just wanted to give you an example. Are you being transformed? Guess what? That's God's daily plan for you. What lies are you believing? Maybe what are you filling yourself with rather than being pursued by the filling of the Spirit? And I, in all confidence, if you know Christ as your Savior, can tell you, go talk to him about it because I know he's there. And I know that's what he wants to do. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you that you are here. And you're not waiting to slap me on the back of the head because of who I am. But you're his, my Father, because of who Jesus is. Thank you, Father, that you have given me and you've given my friends here every opportunity to walk in relationship with you for you to indwell us, to give us a hope of glory with you. I pray, Father, that you would take my friends into those crevices and in those places that walking with you just isn't working and helping them see maybe it's because they're not walking with you through it. And transform us, Lord, today and tomorrow and every day. And transform us as a body, Father. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.